Basically, I went in, and when I do traffic, what you do is you listen to the scanner. So you listen to all the scanner codes just to make sure that whatever's going on with the police, it's an accident, if it's police activity. And so that day, I'm pretty sure it was a fire. So I went to go tell our producer, because I said, you know, you're going to want to go out there. We're going to have to break in, because I think they got streets closed up. And my producer didn't want to do anything. And I thought that was kind of weird. And I remember I was in the newsroom. I didn't yell, but I was like, why would we want to go live? What's going on? This is breaking news at this point because traffic shut down. We got a five alarm fire and they let me do two more reports. And I was still mic'd up while I was getting the graphics ready for the second report was when I got the phone call. Somebody who worked my news director, he didn't actually call. Hey, Lisa Marie, can you step outside? And I was like, do I need to take my mic off? Yeah, I probably do. And I remember this because I have one more cut in to do. And so I do another cut in still mic'd up coming and take the phone call and uh they're like yeah you know at this point we're gonna have to let you go i just don't want to talk to anybody and i just like i got them out and i was pissed and i was over it in june of 2013 a 10-year fixture on the new orleans tv and the first traffic correspondent to report on the devastation of hurricane katrina was suddenly removed from wdsu news channel 6. in what seemed like an instant one of the most entertaining and recognized on-air personalities is inexplicably gone. Incredibly, a woman who has succeeded against all odds, who's overcome a childhood of financial hardship and social anxiety to find herself achieving her lifelong goals, not only has it torn away in seconds, but finds herself the target of merciless online defamation and scorn. And while adversity can often destroy the human spirit, this is one woman who will defy any label or limitation that one might put upon her. This is the extraordinary story of Lisa Marie Luminae. You know what I find inspiring? This is like off topic, but that's something about your show that I can't ever get enough of. It sounds crazy, but I see these guys that came from nothing. Like they came over from like the old country with nothing, not even speaking the language. So yeah, what they did was awful. Like they ended up having to kill people and beat up people and like shake people down but it kind of was the time and the place that they were at that was a rooster if you're wondering <laughs> but I, it's weird because i oddly look at them and i i don't want to say i admire them but i kind of do because like it's a struggle i guess everybody goes through that also some were bullied you know uh it's just it's crazy you know right a lot of them were culturally bullied this is back in the days when like they wouldn't hire italians i know one of the greatest things about producing the Partners in Crime podcast has been the interactions with like-minded enthusiasts of the gangster era. That being said, I have to admit that the majority of the correspondence that I receive comes from the male persuasion. If I do get the occasional text or call from a female, it's generally from what I like to call a cyber hooker, a catfish fan looking to finagle a silly old man out of his bank account. When I first heard from Lisa, I assumed that she, if she was a she, was most likely more of the same. I soon discovered that she was actually a pretty cool person with a genuine interest in the genre. She even seemed to be listening to the shows and had a lot to offer in both information and opinion. As I got to know her better, she made a reference to her television career, an obscure reference to what happened. I had no idea what she was talking about, so of course I googled her. I saw tons of clips on her traffic shows. She was pretty, smart, and a great TV personality from what I could tell. So what did she mean about the thing that happened? Someone else asked the same question on a local New Orleans website, and I followed the link down the proverbial rabbit hole. What I found was unpleasant. 
I won't honor the trolls that responded by relaying their comments, but suffice it to say they filled the site with some of the most nasty, cruel, and unfounded accusations I'd seen in a long time. I didn't know what she'd actually done to become the target of such hatred, and I didn't really care. No one deserved this. I quickly reached out to explain that I hadn't realized her situation, and that I was sorry it happened. I offered to help, intuitively knowing that anyone who had this person's back would be backing a winner. I wouldn't take it back, you know? I believe in being authentic. The Urban Dictionary has defined a term to describe the process of making a person extraordinary. Don't worry about when they talk about you. A traumatic trial by fire that will define not only their future, but the essence of who and what they are to become. You gotta take a chance on life. Fortune favors the bold. And I said, okay, I'm gonna be bold. Have a look back. I'm William Cross, and this is Extraordination. My name's Lisa Marie Luminay. I was born in San Diego all the way back in 1980. I'm kind of from everywhere because I moved around. My dad was in radio. So we moved from California to Texas to Alabama to Montana, everywhere you can imagine, Chicago, Philadelphia. We've been everywhere. So I kind of grew up all over. First memory has got to be my dad filming my Lisa Marie Christmas special when I was four years old, and I'm dancing to flash dance with the sweat socks on. <laughs> my first like horrible, embarrassing memory, like a whole movie. Oh God, my dad was like one of those '80s dads with like the big camcorder on the shoulder, and was totally into that. And you know, my dad's a DJ. He started in Montgomery, Alabama. His first start in radio was the DJ that was on the air. He was 13, if you can imagine, and he was like a groupie, and he would go outside this radio station anyway the dj decides he's gonna like get with this groupie so my dad is like hey i can run the board so my dad at like 13 years old goes and takes the controls and he's the mic and they gave him a job he started at a all-black radio station and his first radio name i'm not kidding was the funky honky <laughs> he's done all kinds of radio though when we were in texas we did country music and i will say this that i think country people are the most giving to their fans top 40 he did all kinds of music he's doing oldies now i believe he's in california he's actually been on miami vice he was on a couple other shows it's pretty badass yeah he met a lot of people his favorite story to tell is the eddie murphy story eddie murphy story is like classic like my father old you know school boss job stories he's working i think it was in b104 and doing great just great ratings all that it's like the heyday of radio and Eddie Murphy was doing Saturday Night Live, but he was like really hot. And so my dad was supposed to interview him on the radio and he doesn't show up and his handlers are like, oh, he's not in the mood, he's not gonna come. And then I guess like he showed up really, really late with his like entourage of people. I guess my dad and him like partied. I mean like party. like I guess they did like coke together and hung out and like had this like great time and he was like really chill, really cool. But my dad gave him a B-104 t-shirt and he wore it that night on Saturday Night Live. Eddie Murphy like totally vibed out and they have a picture of them together and Eddie's like holding the shirt. And either he did sleep with the girl from heart or he made out with her. I can't quite remember. I'm spilling like all the tea on my poor parents are going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> he it was like in their heyday, like he was talking, but it was the dark haired one. Yeah. And I can't remember he either made out with her or something happened. Like, I know she came on to him and like, he was like, I don't know why I didn't go further. <laughs> my mom's going to love this. Be like, what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, maybe I need to quit. But, <laughs> but my mom, she grew up in LA. She ended up meeting my dad. I think he was quite a bit older than her and she was a model. He was a DJ. 
He was doing a remote at the time. DJs do that. Like they show up, they give autographs and they give prizes and bumper stickers. Back in the day they did, now they don't. He was doing the gong show, had a line full of girls and he saw my mom and she did a performance to the Bay City Rollers song, Saturday Night, that's how they met. So it was like her and like six of her LA girlfriends bouncing around in like their short shorts and a lot of TNA and a lot of bouncing around. And my dad was like, yeah. <laughs> and like dipped her and kissed her. Well, she is awesome. She's Los Angeles lady, born and raised in LA. Crazy, like crazy LA lady. <laughs> I come from a long line of crazy women, so it comes naturally to me. I do have, it's rumored, a great-grandmother. It could be true, could not, I'm not gonna say it. I'm just gonna put it out there. She may have dropped a car on somebody at one point. <laughs> my mom did radio with my dad, too, for a hot minute. They did a morning show, I kid you not, and my dad had to fire my mom. <laughs> radio is a cool mistress. So they got married. She had me five years later, and here we are now. And we have two others. My sister's six years younger than me, and my brother's four years. My sister is a DJ, so she's on air, and she's in Sacramento, California, on Power 95. Her name's Lily B, so really proud of her. Yeah, and my brother is like an aspiring comedian. Like I said, we're like a show business family. We're like a bunch of, you know, vaudevillian people. It's crazy, a bunch of gypsies, you know? <laughs>
so that next day I was like resilient. I was like, oh, you know, I'm not letting this girl get the best of me. That day I took a hairbrush and when she jumped me, oh my God, I fought like a crazy person. I ended up like tearing out her hair and stuff. But anyway, we got an odd respect for each other because like we had a fight, like a brawl and no one ever messed with me again. You're gonna live or die by it. It's gonna make you or break you. That's what my dad said. He's like, fight back. But yeah, I had a hard time in school. I effing hated it. I went from like school in Texas where they had a mixture of what they called kicker kids, which were the cowboy kids. And they weren't mean or anything, but you know, they were cliquish. Then you had the goth kids and all that. And then from that to like California schools where you had the snotty kids that were just totally outside my range. And then Alabama, which was nuts. And then to Baltimore. So all kinds of different scenarios with people and trying to integrate into different crowds. I definitely wasn't the most popular, but I was a cheerleader for a short period. I tried that, proud to say. So I gave that a thing, wasn't for me. That's cool. I just can't wait to like grow up, get out and go to work. Like that was my dream because I just wanted to be successful. First chance I had to get out, I got out. GED, here I come. So over it. Maybe eighth grade that my mom, I think she probably wished I would have continued. I know my dad wanted me to. You know, at the time they were kind of follow your own path, do your own thing. And I did. Seriously, I just went on with it. You got to take a chance in life. That's what my dad said. Fortune favors the bold. And I went out and I said, okay, I'm going to be bold, you know? Haven't looked back. Uh, I waitressed for a while. Um, I waitressed at a Texas country music western themed place. Uh, it was called Lone Star Steakhouse. Oh my God, it was so terrible. But like in the middle of everything, they would line dance, not kidding. And I was like, ew, ew. And so I remember telling them I hurt my knee so that I didn't have to do it. <laughs> it was so lame, dude. Yeah, like they seriously wanted me to come in on like a Saturday and learn these line dances. They're like, this is serious. And I'm like, I don't know what y'all talking about. I can't. I'm here to waitress and make some money. So yeah, 99 is when I started off. That's when I was like I'm doing this my ultimate goal was television it was always television but when I was younger I didn't think I could make television because you know I didn't think I was pretty enough you know my teeth were crooked I just didn't think that I was polished enough I never went to school for it but I was determined my dad he was like you know whatever you do don't get radio it's an awful career so of course first opportunity I had got right in radio but the only job I could get there was a station in New Orleans called B97 so the program director took me aside and he's like if you want to dress up like the bee, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And New Orleans summers are just murder. And nobody wanted to do it, but I knew that would be my only opportunity. So I was like 17. So on the weekends, I was dressing up like the bee in this big costume and going out to these, you know, appearances with these DJs. So one day my dad was at one of these events and I came out and I took the thing off and he was like, it's you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So I started in radio and the first job that I had was midnight to 5 a.m. It was on B97 in New Orleans. And so basically what that was, was at midnight, I would go and I would make sure that all the songs played. And I was in charge of like linking the songs and the commercials and the things like the bumpers that, you know, say the radio station logo. And I would just string those all together in our computer system and then fire them off until 5 a.m. when the morning crew got there. So that was my first job. And what that did was it kind of honed my skills technically. So I got really good at working a board in radio. And it's really important when you're in radio to run a tight board. Yeah, you have to get good at that really quickly. And I did, and I got known for running a tight board. So what that entails is that the DJs, when they do remotes that are live, they will pay you to key their mic and push the buttons from the radio station side. So like when they're on location, you're there putting up their mic and stuff. So I got paid doing that. 
And from that, I started finagling my way on air. I asked my program director, I said, would you let me maybe do the weather report? And he said he would, but I could only do it at night. <laughs> like it could only be because I was midnight to 5 a.m. So in radio, they give you a service. Basically, you keep checking in with it. It's like a live service and you just keep checking in with that weather. Some people will send you a pre-recorded weather report. I, of course, did my own weather. So I would get the weather report. I would sometimes long write it out or print it and they would give you, let's say, 45 seconds to deliver it in and you have to deliver it really quick. So all you do is you would pot up your mic and make sure your music bed is playing and you would fire off your weather and make sure that you're watching your clock so it's all counting off and on time. And what this does is, of course, give you the skills, you know, to be good with a live mic or a live camera. So I snuck it in whenever I could. Like I was just off the chain with the weather again. It's funny because like people are like, it's too much, it's too much stuff. But I kept doing it because I wanted to get good at being on air. You know, there's a big difference between recording yourself and keying a mic and seeing that red button go on. So basically I did that for a long time. And then I got a job over at MetroScan Traffic, which was a whole traffic center. They were specifically a billboard company, but they put cameras on the billboards throughout the city. So we had all the traffic cameras everywhere. So we were like state of the art, brand new. They had a pilot for a while too, but he had to make an emergency landing on one of the levees. So they actually cut him. It's like a no New Orleans story. This guy ran out of gas. They nicked the airplane from that day. <laughs> There's a traffic reporter that died from doing that. Jane Dornacker, they have the audio on YouTube. Yeah, it's so creepy. Yeah, this could happen to you, right? I used to think that all the time because they were like, we want to get a helicopter. And I was like, that's okay, we're good. We can keep the live cams on the billboards and I'll just stay in house, we're good, you know? traffic just became my thing and I think part of that was like my love for New Orleans you know that's my home and like from the minute I got there when I was 16 years old I fell in love with the place and every street corner I know every little shortcut every little turn I know so that makes me really good at traffic because it's unique traffic wise The weird thing I had to get used to with New Orleans traffic is when there would be like a police situation or, you know, like a suicide, for example. Like, I remember the first time there was a suicide and like, it blew my mind. And uh, I walked into work, I'll never forget, and my boss is like, I'm pretty sure we got a jumper. And I'm like, what the hell? And uh, it was on the Crescent City Connection. You know, that's a really big bridge in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, it's a treacherous fall. And basically this guy had drove up on the top and he had left a note on his steering wheel and jumped off and people had witnessed it. And uh, the cops had come and asked us if, you know, our traffic cameras had picked it up and it didn't. But that was one thing that I wasn't used to. I was like, oh gosh, but also traffic accidents. Those were always really weird to hear about, you know, especially ones that you covered. I remember they had the biggest accident in New Orleans and that was in on uh, Michoud in New Orleans East. And I covered that one, that multiple car accident. It was like 12 cars and a bunch of fatalities. It was bad and I drove out to cover it with my cameraman and I just remember like they had the tarps on the cars and stuff. It was so bad, oh my God. First story I covered though, really bad. But you know, those are things with traffic that you have to be conscientious of is you're going to have accidents. There are a lot of unfortunate things that happen like with the bridges, with the suicide, police activity. We have a lot of that in New Orleans where they were shut down a whole street because they're dealing with some kind of situation. Car chases, that's another thing, you know, that's all things that you deal with on a day-to-day. -day. Also, a new thing I just noticed is that they had one the other day and it was where a guy was like actually peeing on the side of the road. And I can't remember what they call it, but they now have a term for it because that happens more than you think. Like guys like pulling over and like having like, oh, I gotta pee. They don't realize the cameras are right there. And there's like a whole galley full of people sitting there watching. <laughs> I 
Well, the first time I met my husband-to-be was in 2001. I was just on the radio then. I was five houses down from him. <laughs> and I used to drive this really ugly van with like no windows. It was an old radio station van. And it's it like, I got it from the radio station at a cheap price. So I was like, okay, it was so embarrassing by the way. Oh my God. The logo had been spray painted off by me and my brother because you know, you can't drive around with like the radio station logo on you. You should have seen like little me, like I'm five feet tall, climbing into this giant van. But anyway, I'd be driving this van so he would see me going back and forth. The first time I saw him, I was rollerblading with my sister and I fell on my ass in front of him and he gave me a nine and I was embarrassed and I was just like, okay, I was like covered in mud and I'm like, oh my God, let me just go home. So I go home and I think it was about three days later, he came and knocked on the door and he's like, hey, I lost my dog, you know, can you help me look? And my mom being an animal lover is like, everybody hit the road, go, go, go. And we ended up walking together. You know, he was like, hey, you wanna come in? And we ended up chit-chatting or whatever. And he gave me his phone number, but long story long, he never had a dog. <laughs> I remember being in his house. I never saw the dog dish, no pictures of the dog. And like his mom never mentioned the dog. And I'm like, you know, where's this dog? And he's like, yeah, I never had a dog. So, <laughs> so we've been together ever since. What you gonna do, right? We did not get married right away. We were not crazy. Most couples wanna have kids right away. We were not like that. We were just like, hey, we're just gonna do us. And we did, like we had fun throughout our 20s and our 30s. So I had a great time and he was doing arbory work. He was working as an arborist at the time. But you know, we had a little apartment. We lived right outside the city and you know, it was great. We had many great, great years there. You know what I mean? I was the first reporter back on the radio after Katrina that did a traffic report. So first ever traffic report after Katrina was me which was crazy. Yeah, it was 05, I stayed through it. I got off the radio really late that night. I remember driving home and I took Earhart Expressway, which if you take Earhart Expressway, you actually go through the Hollygrove area. And so I remember like, there's a really pretty view of the city. And I remember looking at it through my rear view and kind of getting like the heebie-jeebies, but still thinking nothing bad was gonna happen. But we were on the third floor of our apartment building. So we made out really lucky, but the first two floors got completely gutted. And that whole night was just terrifying. Like I've never been through a hurricane. And that was horrible. Like I remember going in the bathroom and the toilet, the water was going back and forth. But it was really scary. And uh, I went back to work. We were back on air. We got our radio tower back up and running Halloween. So it took us all the way to Halloween. Halloween that day was my first traffic report. And it was crazy because the traffic patterns, of course, had changed in New Orleans. So like everything was different. And there was all this influx of traffic coming from Baton Rouge because a lot of people had you know, gone to live in Baton Rouge because we were just so damaged. There was a shortage of bread, milk. It was a crazy time to live in the city, absolutely insane. And I'm just glad that I made it through. It was terrible. So where I was is about 10 minutes outside the city. And specifically that night, things got hectic. It was dark, uh, probably the darkest I've ever seen. I mean, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face because all the lights were out. And so the only light we had was like from our phones or if you had, you know, a flashlight. And that night they had people like looting the apartments below us. So my husband was just sitting there like waiting, you know, to make sure everything was okay. And you would hear gunshots. There was a Walmart down and you know, everything was flooded. And I remember I walked out to the balcony and you saw people in boats with packages of cigarettes and they had guns and things like that. It was a terrifying time to live in New Orleans. It really was. But it's one, like I said, if you survived it, you know, it makes you love the city that much more because we're that much more resilient. We all kind of came together through it. Late 08, transition from radio to television. So I was about 28 when that happened and I was working at Channel 6 first. They had me host a drug walk in Poma, 
And they didn't even tell me like I was going down to do that. They just were like, we need you to go post this walk. And it was with the guy from Swamp People. So I had to cut the ribbon with him and the mayor was there and everything. And the mayor's in front of the whole town. And he's like, and here's Lisa Marie from Channel 6 with her speech. And I was like, oh my God, no speech, no nothing. So I just went in there and winged it. I, I was not really cracked up for TV, but damned if I didn't freaking give it a good go for a couple of years. I was a renegade, man. I was always changing my hair. They don't like that. They really like you to have like that football helmet hair. Like they have people that will watch the news and legit lose it if you cut your hair. Like they have people that will lose it if you change your lipstick. So that was like something that I didn't get used to right away because I love my makeup. I love to be dolled up. And you know, there are some times when I might do something different and they do not like that. So like the first thing they did in TV was like change my hair. They cut it all off. They dyed it and they changed all my makeup and I hated it, of course. So about maybe a couple weeks into it, I kind of like integrated my own makeup back into it, like my own look back. And they didn't like that. So they kept trying to like change me up. I remember like the first time I got recognized freaking out, but it was weird because the guy was like, you have pretty feet. I was in a supermarket and I was like, thank you, I, I think. And he's like, aren't you the girl from TV? And I'm like, I don't know, am I, you know? That was weird. That was weird for me. But you know, just like anything, you learn to deal with it. And I never had a big head. And to be honest, it really didn't happen that much. Off and on, you know, people would look and stuff like that. But it never like got to my head where I was like, oh my God, you know, I can't go there. People are going to recognize me. Now, some of the girls I work with, <laughs> they were like, oh my God, I can't even go to Applebee's. I get recognized so much, you know? <laughs> never me though. <laughs> I did get in trouble a lot though. I will say, oh my gosh. Cause like, I'm not G-rated by any means. So <laughs> I got in so much trouble. So uh, like, I think it was a birthday. I went to a strip club on bourbon, like not thinking anything of it. And so we had gone and somebody took pictures of me and sent those pictures to my news director. So when I got there that following Monday, I'm not thinking anything of it. I'm just like, hey, we had a good time, woo, you know? And I go in there and my news director's like, I need to talk to you. And he ends up bringing me back there and he's like, were you at Hustler Club on Bourbon? And I'm like, yes. And oh my God, he had these pictures of me. And I was like, <laughs> and he's like, we need you to be a little bit more discreet. And I was like, I thought I was, I was in the VIP room. What can I do? <laughs> I like smoking weed, <laughs> so there may or may not be traffic reports of me high as a kite doing some traffic reports, but my traffic was always on point. Like I said, I got myself in trouble big time, but I wouldn't take it back. You know, I believe in being authentic. And so if smoking a little weed and going to a strip club got me in trouble, so be it. I own it 100%. If getting a lap dance by a girl on my birthday or his birthday is something that is frowned upon, guess what? That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag no regret. So it was weird. Like basically I went in, Hoda Copy was there, if you can believe that. I took a picture with her that day and she was so cool. Like I loved her so much. Oh my God. And then I got fired all. But yeah, so Hoda was there. Hoda was there. Um, we had a breaking news story that day too, like, but I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like a fire. And you know, when I do traffic, what you do is you listen to the scanner. So you listen to all the scanner codes just to make sure that, you know, whatever's going on with the police, it's an accident, if it's police activity. And so that day I went to go tell our producer because I said, you know, you're going to want to go out there. We're going to have to break in because I think they got streets closed up and my producer didn't want to do anything. And I thought that was kind of weird. And I remember kind of like, why would we want to go live? What's going on? This is breaking news at this point because traffic shut down. We got a five alarm fire. And uh, they let me do two more reports and I was still mic'd up. And while I was getting the graphics ready for the second report was when I got the phone call 
I thought it was the technical number from the tech guys, but it was somebody who worked my news director. He didn't actually call, you know, hey, Lisa Marie, can you step outside? And I was like, yeah, and I still have my microphone on. And I was like, do I need to take my mic off? Yeah, probably do. And I remember this because I have one more cut-in to do. And so my producer was like, we need you to do one more cut-in. So I do another cut-in, still mic'd up, come in and take the phone call. And they're like, yeah, you know, at this point, we're gonna have to let you go. Still mic'd up. So I took off my equipment. And I remember I went back inside, I told the girl, I think I have one more traffic hit. And I was like, I'm, I'm not doing it. They wanted me to. They were like, we need you to finish this out. And I'm like, no, no. My father would have told me, you know, go in there and leave on a good note. So I did one last report and I took off my mic, took off my IFB and was walking out. And I remember one of the girls that would work with me was like coming after me. She's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I just don't want to talk to anybody. And I just like, I got out and I was pissed and I was over it. But at the end of the day, I'm so happy that it happened because it wasn't the best experience for me there and it taught me so many lessons and just it's a place where I grew and I got my footing. So I feel fortunate, you know, I don't feel bad about the stuff that happened for sure. You know, they got stuff on the internet. If you Google my name, it's not the greatest stuff. Eh. You know, what you gonna do? I will say this, I don't know if it was just, you know, because of the station that I worked at or the people I was working with at the time, but you know, it did not go over well. And like I said, this person took pictures and video. I was having a great time, you know, I was with my husband. It was nothing that wasn't okayed in our relationship. So, you know, like I said, when that got out, I kind of knew that was the beginning of the end for me. But you know, when you're representing the radio station, you have to be mindful of this. That's how they were. And you know, I, I can understand that, you know, hey. It is what it is. But I was always a little rough around the edges in TV, you know, like I never conformed ever. Like they always wanted me to cut my hair, or, you know, tone down my makeup or, you know, whatever. And I just didn't do it. I didn't do it. I probably should have, but that's just not who I am. I don't conform. You know, when it all happened, I was like upset about it. And my dad said to me, hey, you know what? Don't worry about when they talk about you. Worry about when they stop. Because I'm out here living my life and they're out there talking about me. So who's winning? <laughs> I'm so happy and I'm still smiling, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I ended up going back to radio for a little hot minute. Uh, I worked for iHeartMedia. I was doing traffic for them and they did the traffic also for Channel 4. And so basically the girl that was the traffic reporter there I got sick and they asked me if I could go on camera and I said sure. And this was after I hadn't been on camera for like maybe a year and a half. So then I got back on camera, it was no big deal. And so I ended up filling in and I did that for about three, four years. Yeah, at Channel 4, so it was great. I had a great time working there. And that actually did really good because I did news. And what news did is it taught me to kind of slow down talking. So then when I went back onto television, I was much slower and my delivery was much more polished. So I'd grown so much more from the first time I was on television. So that was when I went from channel six to channel four. Channel four was like all good times. Like they let anybody wear what they want. They don't care if you change your hair. They were very open. So it was much more my style channel four. We would have so much fun there. Like they were always doing something amazing there. They're just a fun group to work with. The cool thing about them is that they're in the French Quarter. So like I used to love going to work there every day because like you go right down on Rampart. So you're like right in the thick of the French Quarter. And I used to love going to work there in the morning and pass up all the tattoo artists and all the people going to the bakeries and all that fun stuff. Such a neat town to wake up in. So I always felt very fortunate. And on the top, you can go up to the roof and all you can see is the French Quarter. So yeah, that was like the funnest experience for me working at Channel 4, it really was. I had a great time. You know, I did that for about three, four years, 
but I always knew I wanted to branch out and do something on my own, something that was just authentically me, like just from what I experienced and went through and just like, maybe if it can help somebody or crack them up, whatever. So I just said, let me put myself out there. I see all these people doing that. In New Orleans, I had an opportunity, my friend, Tammy Bradley, we worked together at Channel 6 and Channel 4. We did a show together in New Orleans for, gosh, we did one, I want to say 2008, and then we did our second show all the way in 2021. Yeah, it was last uh, February. So much fun. And then I worked with her daughter on her show, which is Talk with Tara Lynn. So both New Orleans shows, both just around town. Now the show that I worked with Tammy was on channel 38. That's another local New Orleans station. And it was called Morning Coffee. And basically we just did crazy stuff. Like we rode horses. <laughs> it was hilarious because me and Tammy were like on these horses. And Tammy's like, how do you tell if a horse is a girl or a boy? And the lady's like, you check their genitalia. And she's like, look at that, Lisa, this one's a boy. I'm like, that's a boy, you know, <laughs> it was crazy. We did that, we, uh, we did all kinds of crazy stuff. We had a great time. but. It was a very authentic New Orleans show, which I love doing that. I love showcasing anything about the city. So that was a chance for me to kind of branch out and do something that was a little outside of the media range, you know, as far as like news goes and do something that's kind of creative and different. Then I met a lot of local New Orleans celebrities and mainly rappers who just taught me life lessons. And that might sound crazy, but I was with them a lot because we were in the green room waiting for filming and stuff so like i was with these guys like p tomo and pbm povolo making friends with them and they would give me this great life wisdom and you know the one message that they kept giving to me was like not to be afraid and to take a chance in yourself i just went to myself one day you know what i want to take that chance on myself i want to do something different Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever Good Night Bunny podcast. I'm Lisa Marie Luminae, and this is my bestie, my partner in crime, <laughs> Dr. Jen. <laughs> we chit chat about this stuff each and every day. I mean, oh, Dr. Jen. She's a tutor of mine. She actually helped me when I was trying to get my GED and everything. But she is also a psychologist. It's interesting because we really get into like a lot of these datelines and a lot of these like murder mystery shows. So I will have my theory, and she will have her theory, and hers is always like this clinically based theory that like you know this is why this happened and he was regressed or whatever and I have my take on it which is just you know my crazy take on it you know what I mean so you know between the two of us we're gonna figure it out so yeah she's just been a really great friend of mine and she was like let's take a chance and let's do this so I said what do we have to do Yes, uh, so my first one was about Ron Hunter. The second is about Vince Marinello. The tornado in New Orleans kind of slowed production down a little bit. So that slowed everything down, but that's okay because I feel like, you know, everything's going to happen in time when it should. But yeah, Vince Marinello is going to be my next one. So that's a weird story too because I had drinks with him two weeks before it happened. Big party at the Rock and Bowl in New Orleans and everybody's there, all the media people, all the DJs, all the anchors, and there's Vince Marinello at the bar and we make eye contact and he invites me over, gets me a drink and we get chit-chat and he was so weird and like shell-shocked and you could tell something was up and sure enough, two weeks later, he offs his wife, go figure. Crazy story, right? So I said, I'm going to try to do the podcast. I'm going to try to marry it with a TikTok on a YouTube channel, get it out there on social media, and let's see if it will take off. Let me take a chance on myself and see if it will go. You know, what do I have to lose at this point? Nothing. <laughs> what, my reputation? <laughs> Fortune favors the bold. 